Welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bymel. The Real Estate Lowdown is your weekly opportunity to step into the conversations going on in today's real estate and mortgage markets. We explore terms and concepts of the industry, host interviews of intriguing industry cohorts from high net worth investors to real estate agents just making their mark. We will share our love of all things real estate, bringing you the most innovative and sustainable real estate lifestyle ideas each and every week. If you enjoy what you hear today, hit the follow button, subscribe, so you don't miss an episode, and please share your support with a quick review. You can find me on the web at billbymel.com, and thanks for joining this episode of the Real Estate Lowdown. Yo, Dor, welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. Excellent. Great to join you today, Bill. Yeah. So, you know, I was looking back at your career and, you know, one of the things that really intrigued me about you was I I have so much respect for my elders. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) But anyone that's older than me is my elder, right? So, yeah. But I love the history of things, you know, especially when it comes to real estate, because in the real estate game, you know, like all kind of financial markets, things are cyclical. You know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes a lot. And that's why I love having someone with your history and your perspective. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. I was born and raised in Canada, Chatham, Ontario, a town of 42,000, which was about an hour from Detroit. And in high school, when people got cool work co-op, you know, you did co-op in high school. I got stuck in my uncle's real estate office, which was a prudential brokerage back then. And I would wash the cars, set up the bar for the parties, run people around, install the signs, cut and paste the ads. So I trailed my older cousin and she really taught me a lot of ins and outs and nuances. And I loved, I loved the real estate part. So out of high school with all my riches, I moved from Chatham, Ontario with $2,500 in my pocket to Orlando, Florida, and got a job. I rented a room for $250 a month from a friend of the family. And I went around. In my hometown, everybody knew our family, and I could just get a job anywhere. But down here, I didn't know anybody. And so I went to the Peabody Hotel, International Drive, which is now the Hyatt. And I went out front, and I said, hey, can I get a job parking cars with you guys? So... I got a job valet parking cars. I've got promoted to Bellman after a while. You know, they told me about going to HR and that's, I was 18 years old. So I did that. But that was just when Magic Kingdom was the only thing in town, right? Disney was around then, right? But they were just small then, right? It was 89. I'm not that old, Bill. (laughs) I'm old, but not that old. I'm 52, (laughs) but this was 1988, 89. So I got a job, uh, parking cars and I moved inside, but I love my co-op in high school and I want to get back to real estate. So I went to Prudential Gallagher Properties and the manager of the office and Don Gallagher owned it, who was one of my mentors that I respect in 1993. And I had to go four times before he'd hire me. He goes, you're a kid. You're only 20, early twenties. Nobody's going to buy a house from you. I said, I'll work all your group. So after going back four times, I, he finally 
hired me. And I said, if you let me get in here, I'll be your top performer. And so that's how I got into real estate. I outworked everybody, out hustled, didn't have a big sphere of influence, didn't know tons of people. And I made the hotel my farming ground. And all those guys that were making all the money on the bellhop stand, you know, making decent money in the front desk people, I would sell them all houses and told them, hey, you got to claim a little more money, get your mortgage done. And then all of a sudden, you know, I remember back then, Bill, I was selling homes. Todd Wallen was one of the first guys I sold a home when HUD was selling homes and you had to do the envelope sealed bids and you'd go down and you'd wait for them to open them and hope you hit the lottery. And we got one in downtown winter garden, Florida for 48,000. Yeah. And he's still a friend of mine. And a lot of those guys are my friends today, but fast forward, sold taught a couple other homes and just worked it. And once the guys learned that they could buy a house and knew the home ownership, it worked. And I outworked everybody Within three years, I was a top performing realtor for Prudential Gallagher Properties. Hmm. Worked through with him through the years, got connected with the national franchise and did real estate here. And this is now my 30th year. See, that's what I mean. It's like I have so much. That's the American dream. That's the American dream. Exactly. Told by a Canadian. (laughs) Yeah, I'm an American now. I'm a little Canadian in me, but I'm a U.S. citizen now. Yeah, That's awesome. That's really, really great. And I think it's interesting when you say you kind of farmed the hotel, but when I, my initial thought was the guests, but it wasn't that it was the, it was the locals, the staff that worked in these hotels that were your clients, you know, buying and selling them their, their permanent properties. Do you dabble or did you dabble or did you ever get into, you know, some of these transient, you know, folks that are coming down, they get enthralled by Disney and they look to, I don't know, is there any of that market there? I guess they all go to timeshare, right? No, there, there's a lot of the vacation rental market and corporate clients that come in and global online presence today in Orlando is huge. Your mm-hmm. online presence, your Google reviews, having your account up to date. I get a lot of calls all the time. And also, if you, if you have inventory, I've always been a big proponent of having inventory listings. If you have right. it, the buyers always call you. And then you can right. marry them together. Right. So, so there the, is a lot of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Most of the top producers, you know, when I was, when a brokerage was the the only thing I was focused on at the beginning of my career, you know, it was always the listing side of the business that I played on because you got the advantage of both, right? You got your, you know, you controlled the sale and you get the leads directly too. So, and all the top producers that I've known, not that you can't make a ton of money being a buyer's agent, there are people that are, but all the top, top producers that make long-term careers as real estate brokers do so on the listing side of the business. And, you know, with all the technology and everything today, Bill, it's very, very important that you do something novel and answer your phone and respond to people. You don't know how many people that I talk to and they go, Joe, thank you for calling me back. I say, it's my job, you know, and I still personally call them back. I still meet with the people because people are hiding behind social media, the technology, the conversation like you and I are having right now is powerful because we get to know each other and you didn't know that about me that how i got to florida and you learn things and they'll tell you things in a conversation they won't put in text you know and that's where the relationships built and getting face to face with people is critical yeah Yeah, no absolutely get being related because you know it's not just a one-hit wonder then it's a customer for life 
yeah. you get to be their, you know, consummate advisor and friend. And you've obviously and- done a great job of that in all aspects of real estate. I noticed that you went off on your own in 09. And wow, the yep. timing must not have could not have been better to start an REO based business, right? And tell us how yeah. that all kind of came into fruition. Well, what happened was Don Gallagher came to me in 2004 and he got diagnosed with cancer. And Don said to me, Joe, you're the guy, because we were his top performer all along. I was his top performing guy. And we had a really good relationship over time because I worked like him. And he was a hardworking man seven days a week. And the thing is, is when he wanted to sell, he had 100 agents and four offices in 2004. So I was 32, 33. And he goes, hey, Joe, you're the guy that can take my company to the next level. I want you to take over and buy my company. He wanted low seven figures. You know, a 32-year-old kid, it's a lot of money. And I didn't know what was going to happen in seven. You know, I thought there was going to be a turn in the market. Because we were already working the REO part of it, because you could feel it coming when my buddy, who's a plumber, is buying three half million dollar homes on 60K income. So I just told him, I talked to my dad. My dad was a good mentor of mine, and we kind of talked through it. I was making decent money, you know, 30 some years making, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. You think you're on top of the world. Right. And I just kind of went to him. I said, I respect it, but I I think I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So I missed an opportunity, but maybe I dodged a bullet, maybe not. Right. Fast forward, a gentleman from Steve Pilchuk bought him out and he bought the company from him. He we merged in with him and became Prudential. Then he flipped to Weikert. And I kind of like the Prudential Berkshire name. So Weikert was good. It was a good brand. I learned new things. You carry around that big listing package in the presentation and just learned a couple different things. You know, we flew mm-hmm. up and met with Jim Weikert and, mm-hmm. you know, he lands his helicopter. It was all interesting stuff. But fast forward, we worked with the new ownership team. We built the REO. Mm-hmm. REO was coming. We built a team, me and my partner, and we got up to 975 REO listings. Wow. And that was like, uh, what was that, the, 2010 or 2008, so? 2008. 2008. And th- yeah, that eight, was when we were, you had the most inventory. It was right there at the beginning. We were peaking because yeah. I was working the relationships in three, four, when they said, we're not going to need you in Florida. I said, you're going to need me. So I built all the relationships. Uh, I was involved in organizations. I chaired the education committee with Rio Mac with Jane Larkin. And we did a lot of work together and we met a lot of the key players and had really solid relationships. Again, it's a relationship business. Right. So what I did is, my broker at the time thought the REO was a dirty business, didn't want to tarnish in his brokerage. He says it's going to be a short run of a year. So I said, great. So I fed off that bill and I said, great, let me buy out you. Let, let's make a deal for me to leave and I'll open my own brokerage, get all these dirty listings out of yours. So in March of 2009, I did the, one of the biggest deals of my life. We paid them. It's confidential, but it was mid six figures. Mm-hmm. How many agents pay the broker to move? Wow. Yeah. I paid him mid six figures, paid him, and I started Florida Realty Results. And I moved over because, you know, when a corporate seller, if there's a dispute, if there's a dispute, they're going to cancel all the listings, move to another broker. I've seen brokers ruin their whole career by getting cocky and trying to backdoor them. Then you're done. I had 
my good friend was with Baker Hostetler, negotiated and represented me and worked the deal. And we had exhibits for every corporate seller that he signed release in them. And we paid him the money cash. Wow. And I started my brokerage with 975 listings in March of 2009. Every brokerage in town was tanking. Everyone was terrible. And we had the inventory. So right away, we just slept about three hours a day trying to build this monstrosity, hire staff. Bill, we were also doing, from 2004, five, we were doing fee BPOs. And I was doing 2,000 a month wow. with my team. And I ran the valuation department, which triggered the REOs. Right. Back then, if you did a BPO, you had a good chance of getting the REO because it was going to default. Right. So we did that and we built it. And the guys, I knew the corporate guys at Prudential. So my buddy who I've sold a lot of houses to, he come to me and goes, Hey, we want you in the franchise. We want you back in Prudential. I said, well, let's talk, you know? So in 2010, they paid me some money because they wanted the market share and I became Prudential Results Realty. Ah. And I organically grew it and recruited it. I grew it from 10 to 14 because ario was fading out but i had affinity relationships and market share and i built it into a 188 agent company and in 2014 you know 13 uh a guy named warren buffett bought the prudential network mm -hmm. and it, they were going to berkshire hathaway i kind of slow paid it let ray mesa go first and see how he got in the market in florida and then i said okay guys, I need some conversion dollars. So we converted it and we did 150 open houses going from Prudential to Berkshire and did a big promotion and early came in and it rejuvenated my brokerage. We were in the top 50 in 15. We were number 43 in the country. And so I got to go with the top 50 brokers in the network. And I went over to Costa Rica. It was a dog and pony show, but they were talking about real estate, but you had to do insurance mortgages, title, and processing fees in order to make your brokerage profitable. Oof. And I thought, man, this isn't what I want to do. I want one thing. I want to do it well and stay in my lane. Right. So I went back to my partners. And I said, guys, we're on top of the road. We were doing about eight, nine million gross commission income a year. I said, guys, I think it's time for me to get out because they there was pressure in it too, Bill, where the agents wanted more and more and more where your split would go to, you know, I had a 67%, 72%. Then it was going 80s. And those guys wanted to do 100% thing. And I told my partners, I'm not in this for hobby. I'm in it for profit. Right. And if you're going to give all the monies to the agent, I'll go back to being an agent. So either right. you buy me out or I buy you out because we're going to go in a different direction. So they hit me with a number and I said, do you think it's fair? They go, yeah. And I said, okay, great. I'll take you both out of that number. There was <laughs> silence on the call for about t five minutes. No one talked. I wouldn't say a word. And then they said, okay, we'll call you back. We'll call you back tomorrow. And they called me back, gave me a better number. I took the deal. I sold them the company in October of 16. And part of that they loved that I stay working for them. I still work for the company that I started. And wow. they gave me the farm. I do about 30 million a year. I don't have agents that work with my staff. Great. I can tell staff what to do. And I have <laughs> four quality staff members now and having fun. You just do what you love. I mean, that's really yeah. the story I hear in all of that. And then I was wondering how it got to be broker associate that, you know, and that explains everything that you sold that. And it's an interesting path because 
you've made smart business decisions along the way. You continued to work your butt off and produce results. And the, the lesson is, is that you ultimately landed on, this is what I want for my life. You know, I did a episode about how many different jobs there are in real estate. And I mean, even within being a real estate broker and agent, there are so many lanes that you could pick. And, yes. and it's interesting to see how your life evolved and your career evolved, you know, to the fact yeah. that you're just, you know, yourself, right? Yeah. And it's a boomeranging effect, Bill. You know, I've been in this town, this is my 30th year in real estate in Orlando, and I've built a lot of good relationships on the boomerang effect. You get what you get back. Right. You know, you, you get back what you give. And if you treat people with respect, respect and humanity, you can never lose that. If, if I'm representing you, Bill, going to one of your properties and approaching the person, you know, I, I've been in some very difficult situations, but I don't carry a gun when I go into the neighborhood, tough neighborhoods. I don't need to because I'm going to talk and treat people with respect. Right. And I'm there to improve their neighborhood and work with them. And I could be that person losing the house. You never yeah. want to lose a f- effect. And like I was with the lady yesterday. I'm power washing her garage. She was diagnosed with cancer. She's moving in with her son to get treatments. I'm helping her at a discounted rate helper. And the great part is by helping her, she's helped me with doing the business with me, but I'm helping someone. And that's what we're here to do. It's not always about the money. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know me, I certainly have to have a mission oriented with whatever I do, you know, whether it's work or volunteer or play. And sometimes I just do selfish things for fun, but (laughs) but certainly mission oriented. So given that, let's shift gears here because I I always love to hear the perspectives of where, you know, we try to have a little crystal ball on this, on this podcast. You've been through a couple cycles. You got you came into the business kind of at this SNL, but you were you know on the during the SNL crisis, late nineties, late eighties, early nineties. It's when you got started, but that was more affecting commercial while you were building a business in Resi. Then you went through you know you were obviously way ahead of the game on the REO business. It benefited you. It helped launch you into like you said this this top status. So you have some perspective. Where are we today? What what does the market feel like to you? Is there a way that you can compare it? I mean, I just got back from Florida a few hours ago, and all I could hear was every person that talked to me, whether it was the guy that worked at the hotel or the guy that, if they find out that, you know, everybody that talks about real estate says you, they can't afford to live in Florida anymore. It's so tough, you know, and multi-generation living is coming back, and the challenge is, you know, I never lose perspective of that because my first house I bought in 94 was 65 and I use an FHA mortgage and I had to struggle to get that three and a half percent together. You know, now these poor people are buying first time homes at 500 and they're having to come up with 20 grand, 30 grand, you know, so it's tough because somebody in Orlando, when it used to be under 200, now it's hard to find anything single family under 400. So, you know, many people are priced out of the market and multi-generational living is coming back, but also, you know, there's very limited inventory. Mm-hmm. You know, stats don't always tell you all the facts because you'll see that year over year, you went from a half month inventory 
to like 1.6 months inventory of listings in the market. But really, there's very little quality, affordable product for the consumer. One of the guys that works with the national builder in town, I talked to him on Saturday. He used to work for me. The great thing is, is when you've been in the market like you have for so long, people used to work for me in these leadership roles. We're still friends. And I learned if it's the institutional investors, if it's the national builders, they're running the whole sales team over there. My old sales, sales managers went other places. And he told me on Saturday, they've never been more bullish on the market than they are today to build everything they can because everything they're going is selling. And they're even developing their own subdivisions and master plan communities where they used to just take down the lots. Mm. So I think in Florida, affordability is a little bit of an issue, but the country's tilted to Florida. There's so much demand and so many people moving here and focused here. Yeah, that I think we're going to have a really solid run for a few years. I don't think it's fallen off the cliff. I agree. I think that even on a nationwide level, residential, the inventories are so low and and so many folks are kind of stuck too because there's fixed 30 year. Thank God for this, but that a lot of people were smart and got a good low interest fixed rate below 4%. Those folks aren't going anywhere. And so I think that that's what's different. I guess, if you look at it compared to the GFC, a lot of the GFC at the GFC, I think there was already inventory. Then the inventory spiked from 2007 to 2008 and the market came to a halt. Even if there's a financial crisis, whether outside of real estate or a recession, one would think that there's there's a runway here for residential, right? A lack of homes, and I don't know. Is that is that that's basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, I, I fully agree, and and I think that the residential market will keep going. I think that you know if you have, have recent comps in your neighborhood, you're not going to keep up ticking the price like you did. It may be a little bit flatline maybe, but it's still going to move if it's properly priced and it's a good product in a good location. So I'm still very bullish. I just bought another duplex. Like rents are not going down, but right. the landlords, there's a lot of talk about the tenants, about increased rents and not being able to afford rents. Nobody's talking about the landlords where their insurance has been increased 47%, right. where their taxes are being jumped up. When they buy an investment property, they can reassess it all the way up to fair market value, which a lot of times doesn't happen to six to 12 months after they purchase it. So they may not factor that in. I educate them and share that with them. But you add those two factors in and then they're, my rental portfolio went up 8.8% on the tax assessed value this year. So it's still going up and the max you can do in Florida on a rental property is 10%. But if I was to go to all my tenants and say, okay, taxes went up, insurance went up, this went up, I'm going to raise your rent $400, I would be a bad landlord. Mm. So I think some of the investors, the novice investors could get in trouble. Squeezed. And they, they could be overextended on hard money loans. That could be vulnerable, pit of a market. The fix and flips, I think, is a little bit vulnerable, but the owner occupants are still solid. They're still there, and they're going to keep coming to Florida. We have great weather. Everything's perfect. And a lot of money from California bills coming down here, too, because it's more affordable. I'm the only fool that moved out of Florida to California. (laughs) I know you're smart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, well, you know, it's you live and learn. I mean, I'm enjoying the weather, so that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, my car said 97 degrees yesterday oh. as I'm checking the REOs. I still do my weekly inspections. I love being out in the field with the property. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I talked to a friend, and, and this is the week that, you know, for that we're recording. This is the heat wave in Texas, June of 2023. I, I always say things like that because, you know, people will be listening to these podcasts for decades, right? Yeah. And my friend in Texas called me up today. He says, my friends are going to Phoenix just to cool off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got 120s. Yeah. It's crazy. So anyways, it has been a real pleasure, Joe. We're going to have you on regularly, at least once a year, check in right. with you because you are really one of my local experts in the central Florida region. And obviously, you know, as one can hear, you have the experience and you have integrity and you're a good guy. And I've just enjoyed every time that we've interacted together. So thank, thank you, you, Phil. And I love learning from you and, and and learning from your knowledge and expertise. And, you know, the biggest thing is, is to get to the experts and get the market knowledge from people like you that are smart, that are traveling around. And maybe not always from the media. Read the localized experts. You know, I go to the experts I'll read the Florida Realtors. I'll look at certain things to see what's happening, but don't get too deep in the media because you could hear that the world's ending. Exactly, exactly. I'm a big believer you want to learn from the guys that are doing, not just the guys that are talking. <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> On that note, Joe, it's been great being with you. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bill. That's a wrap of today's episode of the Real Estate Lowdown. I enjoy bringing this content to you each and every week, and I really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't already done so, please share the Real Estate Lowdown or any episode, any favorite episode with your friends, family, and you know, if you don't mind, leave a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us so you don't do get notified every time a new episode is released. Love to hear from you directly at billbymel.com. Till then, see you next time.